Welcome everybody to another edition of the Subscribers Town Hall this month for October. Uh, I am your host, Community Manager Jared Huckabee, and if you've never seen a Subscribers Town Hall before, that is where we allow our development subscribers, which are those members who contribute a monthly fee to the continuing development of Star Citizen, to ask questions live of members of CIG development staff. And this month we have members of the LA development team, so I'd like to take a few moments to introduce them and let them tell you a little bit about what, what it is they do. Immediately to my right, this is Mr. Sean Tracy. How are you doing, Sean? Good. How are you? Good. Awesome. So, why don't you tell the folks because we have a lot of new, a lot of new uh, backers, a lot of new subscribers, even. Why don't mm -hmm. you tell them a little bit about what you do? Give them your title and what you do for Star Citizen. Okay. Um, so, I'm the technical content director, uh, technical director of content. Um, basically, uh, makes me responsible for everything that comes out of uh, a DCC tool or a digital content creation tool. <laughs> Um, uh, and goes into the engine. So basically any of the content that we're making um, is my responsibility um, to some degree or Making another. it work. Uh, yeah, making it work, making it perform well, making sure we can actually do it, making sure it's scalable, making, yeah, there's a lot of it. Gotcha. So the writers, the designers, they come up with these crazy things and exactly. then you're involved when it has to it's go into the game actually and actually work. Yeah, that's yeah. where you come up. Make it all, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So, yeah, Bring somebody else, somebody else promises and, <laughs> he does a few things. and, and, and we deliver. Yeah, I mean, it seems like idea. a lot, but it's just space. So basically, yeah, yeah exactly. Anything in the universe needs so to transfer to make empty space. That's what he good. does. So people come to you and go, Sean, I got this great idea. I got this thing I want to do. And, yeah, like a worm. Like a worm. <laughs> like a giant sandwich. Yeah, like a worm. And it's your responsibility to make that work. And it's like, how do we make a worm work? I'm like, a what? Now, immediately to your right is Mr. Forrest. Stefan, how you doing, Forrest? Um... Excellent. Yeah. As always. Yep. You did some work on that on that sandworm, didn't you? Oh, we all we all worked on that sandworm. It was a great team effort. I right. mean, how do you get that thing wiggling through sand and jumping out and uh -huh. looking scary and looking and not great? looking like a nope like a, a worm from Tremors. <laughs> a worm from Tremors. <laughs> yeah, sweet. All right. So why don't you take a few moments and tell the folks watching uh, what it is you do for Star Citizen in general? Uh, so uh, Forrest, I'm CG supervisor, and uh, my primary responsibilities is kind of working along Sean and uh, while Sean's getting all this stuff and making sure it's working in the engine um, I spent a lot of time on the actual art side working with the graphics engineers and all the artists ensuring that when we do get the content into the game uh, it visually can uh, look the way that you know our art directors at Chris Roberts envision it too so mm -hmm. kind of the visual fidelity of the con the tech content getting into the game is kind of what I'm more responsible All right. for. And what are some of the things you've worked on recently besides the sandworm? Uh, besides the sandworm, um, so we're uh, continually evolving our uh, modular system for the characters. Mm -hmm. um, we're continually pushing the visual fidelity on the characters, which uh, I think we saw with the Sand Nomad. Uh, we're really starting to see these next-gen uh, looking characters come in, and so a lot of the tech that really drives that. And then also kind of the workflow for the artists, trying to simplify the workflow so they can do things faster. Um, and they can make it look better, mm. right? Mm. Which is always a chess. You know, we always want to push the fidelity and we want to streamline the efficiency so we can do things quicker and create more content. That way, when the players play these games in the universe, they have plenty of art content to work for. And um, I mean, we can do that with our, you know, with the amount of artists that, you yeah. know, that we have. We have a habit of making things look as well as they possibly can in this game. Well, that's, that's the challenge, <laughs> that's right? The we, we want, you know, we're creating this MMO type, you know, and we also have our single player. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we don't want those kind of stereotypical MMO graphics, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. The challenge is how to create an MMO with tons of players in the world, tons of customization, but still keep a visual fidelity of any other AAA title. Yeah, gotcha. And last but certainly not least, on the end, 
Mr. EKD, oh. Eric Chiron Davis himself. Eric, That's how me. you doing, man? Uh, I'm living the dream. That's how I'm doing. How are you doing? Somebody's I'm doing great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing it. I'm having a good time. So you are a senior producer for Star Citizen out of our LA office here. Mm -hmm. uh, what does a senior producer do? Uh, senior, what is this? That's a great question. What don't like, you can do? you tell me? What yes, I, 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 cameras aren't on. I actually just really want to. I'm really interested. We, we've all been wondering for a while. So, um, what is it that you do? It's, anything, anything and everything uh, is of the role of a producer um, and the senior producer in LA. And I also am the senior producer for Austin. So, I work with Jake Ross and Austin Studio. Um, my job is to help oversee any pipeline that's in Austin, work alongside these wonderful guys, try to keep them uh, as happy as I possibly can, which is difficult at times because we're all working so hard. Uh, and then work alongside my production staff, um, planning, organizing, scheduling the best that we can, um, helping provide context and priorities, or working alongside the leads, um, and really all the pipelines for us here in LA, just kind of being the point of contact. I have peers at other studios that are also senior producers that I work alongside. Uh, kind of working with Aaron Roberts on the global production um, of this whole saga. And so, you know, a lot of it's, it kind of ties in together, right? You have the how to get the assets into the engine, and then you have how do you make them look pretty, but somebody's got to track these thousands, hundreds of thousands of yeah. objects, right? And that's where production comes in, right? They help us in software, we do our best. like we do our shock best. and software, right? Is something that we mm -hmm. use that we kind of, uh, you know, it allows us to track our assets um, and it allows us to visually store the status of the asset, right? Yeah. So Eric will also help me and, you know, everyone else to ensure that yeah. we have a way to track the assets, store the assets, and then organize everything that we have and yeah. then help us when we are short on resources. Um, mm -hmm. And to make sure that we bounce it out so we can hit our deadlines, right? Yeah, resource management is pretty pretty key, and, and but obviously working with these guys who know how long it actually takes because that's not my forte. But I then hopefully will help them strategize and go, okay, who do you need or how much do you need to get that done or not get that done or you know do we need to work a couple extra hours or not work a couple hours, right? That's that's the stuff I help hopefully help. Mm -hmm. yep. All right, so we have three guests on the show today who all specialize in some way, shape, or form in making Star Citizen a reality. So we are taking questions live from our RSI chat. Uh, you can join the RSI chat if you're a backer and subscriber at robertspaceindustries.com. Uh, when you, you go up to the top, you see community and then you see chat. In there, there is a subscribers tab. Now this subscribers tab is the only place we're taking questions uh, from for today because this is a subscribers town hall. So please put your questions in there and preface the question with the word question in capital letters and brackets. It helps me uh, dig them out through the uh, other chat that's going on in the area at the moment. Uh, so right off the bat, we have some questions coming in. Uh, Sean Tracy, jeez. Mm. Uh, first up. What a surprise. First up, first up. Wow. I have a question for Sean. That's who I always ask my question. That's who I ask. I just give it all away, right? <laughs> yeah. The lighting in the CitizenCon demo looked absolutely amazing. You Sorry, were, the, uh, the which? The lighting. The lighting. The lighting. The lighting, specifically. The lighting in the CitizenCon demo looked absolutely amazing. Awesome. You mentioned getting the great uh, warm sunset for free which implies that there's now some major systemic differences in the lighting model that, th th that there used to be versus mm -hmm. what there is now. Uh, can you touch on the difference and will we see that in 2.6, 3.0? Yeah, uh, this is a good question. So what I, what I really meant uh, about getting it for free is, yeah, it's in a, it's in a system. It's part of the positioning of, of uh, where the sun is versus where your camera is on the planet. Um, and how exactly those uh, those rays are actually getting scattered through the atmosphere. So what I mean by being free is that you don't ever, there's no artist going in and saying sky is blue, sky is green, sky is, uh, uh, you know, at, at, at six 
a.m. The, uh, it looks like a sunset or a sunrise mm -hmm. or whatever it, uh, uh, whatever it's supposed to be. So this happens automatically. So it, it, it's a it's a massive switch um, to how. Uh, the engine was doing it before. What's interesting is we used to fake the exact same values within our time of day um, system. Yeah. So uh, the, the the typical uh, CryEngine system was a time of day system. Yeah. And what it is, it's 0, 12, 24 hours. You had a whole timeline of, of when the sun would be at a certain position above your head. Um, so depending on that position, you could keyframe a whole ton of values. Again, the sky color, uh, the clouds, how bright the sun is. Um, all kinds of, there yeah. really was like 120 different properties. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, anybody that's spent any time in our community making these CryEngine videos has played with time right, of day. Played with time Quite of a day. bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. what, what this actually does is it kind of, it's not that we've removed time of day, it's that we've decoupled the sun from a skybox. So, so no longer is it 6 a.m. anymore. Um, it's only 6 a.m. because of where that particular sun is versus mm -hmm. where you are on that planet. Because, um, you know, if you think about it, a time zone, time zones across a planet, all these kind of things. Yeah. Um, so we decoupled the sun, made it an actual entity uh, within the world, uh, within the actual map itself. Um, so that way we can place it. And then um, one of the things that a lot of people noticed, and I'm super glad they did, was when we did this uh, two-planet transition yes. in our little tech demo, um, you saw that the sun was pretty high up in the sky in, in, on one planet, but you know time didn't switch, or just our positioning, our relative positioning to the other planet mm -hmm. switched. So it was sunset in that particular location yep. on that one planet that we went to, but it was you know middle yep. of the day. Same star, two different planets. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it just it just becomes a positional thing on that entity rather than a keyframed thing on a track, if that makes any sense. Now, is it just position, or are there atmospheric conditions that will determine how so that So many happen? atmospheric conditions, oh my goodness. Um, so Carson Wenzel, uh, again, one of our, uh, our heroic uh, uh, programmers. Um, Hi, Carson. And uh, uh, Carson was He's at uh, Crytek before. He wrote a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the atmospheric stuff within time of day uh, for the CryEngine, so to do it sort of properly, I'm sure he really liked being able to do. Um, so what we did was make it so that the atmosphere has a, has a, uh, a pre-computed gradients that we can put into it. So basically, the artist is actually aligning what that atmosphere does based on the sun color that's coming into it. So you, we can make an atmosphere a little more green, we can make it a little more you know, red. You can, you can change the, the, com uh, the composition of the atmosphere. You can make it thicker, you can make it thinner. Um, it's really, really important because you can go on different planets and some need to look like you're, you know, there's just a sky above you, but other ones are going to have a very thin atmosphere where kind of, you can see all the stars, you can see most of the stuff that's just uh, beyond you in space. Um, so this was a pretty big system that uh, yeah. Carson worked on quite a bit. Um, and uh, the benefits, I mean, you're seeing it already, um, that we get all this sort of real-time um, atmospheric scattering and shading for, for free, depending on what positioning you're in, um, from the system. I think that's the biggest. Yeah, no, I, like, I like the way you use the term "free." Well, because it's well, it's not free because Karsten busted his ass, right? yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. working on I mean, it for however long. So it's not free by any. are so hard to come by. You went from a system that you had to create. Uh, the skybox's texture set for the morning and for the afternoon and for yeah, the yeah. evening yeah, and then yeah, yeah. you had to have uh, These reflection pass textures that had to get baked for every situation and then what are you gonna do blend through them all then what happens if you change your ecosystem to have an artist have to 
manually make every single sky for every single possibility just wasn't feasible. No, right. not at all. And so this system allowed us to have these endless mm -hmm. possibilities, so to speak, without having with having very minimal artist labor. And so a lot sure. of our uh, the texture memory usage that we would normally used comes for free now. Yeah. Um, a lot of the labor that That's we good. would normally pay for comes for free now. Mm -hmm. And you get a much more realistic system. And the other thing is that the performance on top of it, the performance yeah. of this particular atmosphere uh, system makes it so that, yeah, we can change all that in real time, have multiple planets. Um, it, it's, it's, it's so much higher performant and higher quality than the than the crisis stuff that was in there before, cry engine. And that's exactly that what before. we're talking about, oh, yeah. like, you know. Slamming. Higher, higher <laughs> quality, less labor, yep. more efficient. Yeah. That way we can get things to the backers faster and make it better. But job. to be, there is a drawback to all of this, right? And and the drawback is that there's there's though the artist can change some of these atmospheric conditions, uh, it's not all of them. So, mm -hmm. um, and this is the mark I, I think of a of a really good graphics programmer is that they'll give you enough rope, but not so much that you'll hang yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so and the best ones, um, and I shouldn't call it, you know Carson graphic use far beyond <coughs> just just graphics but yeah. um, it's like yeah I mean, that's that's a big part of it did you think when you first came on board star system did you think we'd have this system in place now um yeah yeah th this had to be in place um there was there was n always the idea that time of day was a very static uh and, and static in terms of yeah you can't go out and and and, and fly to the sun um, you know, it's just a it's just a point in the sky that's always going to be there. Yep. Um, so yeah, I absolutely expected that there would have to be some level of sun energy. Hmm. Uh, this is a question uh, for me, I guess. Uh, the Polaris is listed as having ten, size ten torpedo launchers, but the PDF manual states size six torpedoes. Could you clarify? Uh, yes, actually, uh, this is my camera. Uh, the torpedo system changed. It was size six in the old system. This the system changed. It was size ten. That change made the website. It did not make the PDF before it went to printers. So uh, those new uh, those new brochures that are going out with those who have purchased the Polaris will have the correction in the brochure. It is a size ten torpedo launcher. So mm -hmm. that's what that is. All right, another question for you guys. We've seen rolling hills and mountains, i.e., basic height map stuff. Do you plan for much more complex worlds? Cliffs with overhangs, like maybe multi-Z coordinates, bizarre stuff like we would see in an alien sci-fi fantasy, worlds full of rock towers or other bizarre stuff requiring a far more advanced algorithm. I think, I think so. I think, I think that one thing that we also really stride ourselves on is not going 110% procedural, still having some artist's ability to go in and kind of customize certain layouts in certain areas to really highlight uh, the uh, the location that you're traveling to, yep. Uh, yep. right? So yep. um, I'd imagine that we're going to continually press on as far as making more and more interesting landscapes with the procedural stuff, and then we'll also have a way to artists to go in and really make something yeah. alienistic and special for certain locations. Yeah. Procedural is a tool; it's not the destination. It's the thing we built the lens. I think it built. gets us like ninety percent of the way there, right? You know, it gets us very close to what we need. Mm -hmm. and then, I like the term procedurally assisted. <laughs> procedurally assisted. Procedurally assisted. You heard it here. You heard it here, folks. Trademark. I love it. Let's see. Procedurally assisted. Yeah. Um, actually, a little more about the atmosphere. Let's talk a bit more about that because sure. I don't think people are, uh, appreciate everything that actually goes into <laughs> No, seriously, because there's a lot of work there. Um, one of the things that you have to consider with the atmosphere too is. Uh, indirect lighting on a planet. Um, 
So one of the things that we used to do in the cryogen was we had an ambient level of lighting. And this is, this is all the lighting that happens when a light isn't directly touching something, mm -hmm. but it's actually shadowed, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about it, the atmosphere is the, th the, the sky and the atmosphere is the thing that generates most of that. So actually what, they've, what Karsten's done is he computes an irradiance um, uh, volume basically around the entire planet. Um, so that all the locations of it get the indirect lighting um, that's that's correct for that location. So it takes the terrain into account, it takes the atmosphere into account and everything. And then the direct lighting also changes a little bit depending on how it comes through the atmosphere. So again, there's a lot that goes into this atmosphere and I'm not sure it's a, you know, fully that's, appreciated, that's but awesome. I want to. Because it's almost like simulating bounce lighting a little bit, right? It's, like kind it's of simulating it's global doing, illumination right? yeah. is what it is. That's, and why do we do all that? Why don't we just mail it in? Uh, because otherwise everything would be black. Like if you put a shadow on it, black. There'd yep. be nothing there because what you know, what shades it, what what amount of lighting would be there? Every other, uh, I shouldn't say every other game, uh, but a lot of the current and previous generation games had one level of ambient term, uh, and that would mean that if it wasn't getting direct light, this would be the color that it was getting shaded with. Um, but it's like one color, one setting, <laughs> that's it. I mean, you might animate it, you might color grade it, but um, yeah, how, it's how, not a great uh, solution. How awesome is that as an artist for us? Uh, well, it's essential. It's essential to make things look right and to look good, you know. So it's yeah. Uh, it was great that it got implemented because it, it, you know, people are commenting on how great that planet site stuff looks. And what Sean's saying, there's a lot to it, and it's the little things like that that become very big things visually, mm. you know. And it saves some time. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it, it sucks right now because now. Uh, now when you're in a station, like we're working in stations and things, we have a system called environment probes that we use for yeah. the ambient lighting everywhere else but on a planet. But when you're working on a planet, it's like, oh, forget about the probe. Oh, yeah, right. We've got the irradiance here. Oh, no worries about totally. probes. But then when you're up working on the stations now, it's like, oh, shit, I've got to – Oh, yeah. shoot, I gotta put, <laughs> I gotta put uh, uh, probes back in. Bleep. Sorry. You're watching the last episode of Subscribers Town Hall here on CF. If they can't there's handle a, that, there's a delay. <laughs> we'll they can't it. handle right. this game. Yeah. Uh, so, Eric. Yeah. Or maybe Force. We'll see which one of you wants to tackle this one. Sure. Okay. Where is the female avatar? That's a great Force question. Let's blame Stephen Bender. Blame Stephen Bender. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> There's a, there's a you know there's a lot that actually goes into a, a, the female avatar. It's not just making the model and getting in there, right? There's the whole animation system that also needs to work um, with these characters. So uh, currently, there is a significant amount of work going on with the uh, the animation side to make sure that that character is going to be working properly. Because we do have uh, the female model done. We're currently in the process of taking. Um, a ton of clothing that we've made for the male character and then uh, basically refitting it and uh, recreating it to work with the female characters. That mm -hmm. way um, everything is going to be modular uh, across the board. Um, even though you know the female and the male have will different have different size fitting uh, clothing to make sure it conforms to the body properly. But uh, currently the artists are making all the female clothing. We got our female model looking absolutely fantastic. Uh, we got all the female heads running in parallel with all the male heads, um, and then the last thing that we really will need to get working is all the animation side stuff, which mm -hmm. I'm sure it, Sean for, us, for perspective, so we, we, we have a character, <clears throat> we have a female character. How many people will touch this character? How many in this company, right? And we can just talk departments, touch this one extra character to add to our game. So on the high level... And I don't need names, right? But on the high level, you have your uh, animation discipline mm -hmm. is significant to it. Mm -hmm. You have your tech animation discipline, mm -hmm. right, to make sure that everything's working properly and mm -hmm. technically which set are, up Which correctly. are different 
teams. Different teams. Animation's still in their title, but they're different right. teams. Yeah. That's right, because the animation is responsible for the actual animation and the movement. Mm -hmm. Tech is responsible for getting it working, yep. um, along with animation a little bit, right? Um, and then you have your kind of tech artists on more of the art side to making sure that everything is working properly, efficiently, draw crawls are correct, and you could uh, make sure we could populate with plenty of characters without breaking the game. Sure. Um, and then you have your character artists themselves. Amazing. Yeah. And then you have your concept art that needs to make sure that everything looks right mm -hmm. before we uh, go spend the weeks it takes to actually create something properly. Yeah. Uh, you have your uh, character art director, right, Josh Herman. Mm -hmm. You have uh, the whole head department, which, you know, we have uh, three lateral and, you know, Imaginarium mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. a whole uh, group of people in-house that uh, run that whole area. Oh, um, so, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a massive undertaking. And, and then you have people just doing the sculpting of the character and the and, low poly. And tech design touches it, doesn't it, for loadout? Tech, then once it's, the character's done yep. and it's working, and then yes, you have to get it over to the tech design and then you have to figure out, okay, um, how do the attachments work? How do things get swapped out? Mm -hmm. um, what you know? How do you put this on you? You know, if you we have the females in the marine outfit, right? We got to make sure that we set up all the item attachments on all the armor pieces so we can grab everything properly, mm -hmm. um, because the proportions are slightly different than the male. So we got to make sure that when you reach for that gun, right, you're, it's gonna be it's gonna work, right? Yeah. As opposed to you know all that stuff. So, oh, and then QA. And then It'll once it's sure done it's with broke, all the tech all stuff, touch it, then you get it to QA, mm -hmm. you know, and then get all that working, and then you throw it in the game, and then absolutely nothing works. Yep. And then you and you might have code bugs. You might have things you got to fix. Because then you got work. bugs. So, yeah, so, you gotta... so the reason I I asked is I was on a a, a panel. We were talking about um, we were talking about second like second character in a video game, any video game ever, right? And the question was why is why is there only one in there? I don't get it. I don't understand why there's only one in there. And somebody made just a random comment was like, oh, it's just it's hard. <laughs> no, no, no it's, it's not just hard, right? And obviously what we're doing is hard. We've got a lot of people, so there's a lot of things you can say against that. We're working. We've got a lot of great people on it. But it, it is a very intricate process to do it right, to get a second character in there, to then... And what we're doing is we're not just getting a second character in there. These guys are building entire pipelines to make this whole thing efficient and faster totally. for future ones. You we're doing to, all the characters at the same time. Yeah. It's not we're making yeah. one, and then when we're done, we'll think about doing yeah. another and one. And one thing we've learned from this, one thing we've learned from you know our experience of developing this game yeah. um, from from scratch is it's really important to get your infrastructure in place and to prove out all of your techniques and your workflows and your methods. Because if you try to do two things in uh, parallel before you've proven one method, you could be doing them both wrong. And we want to be as efficient as possible, so we want to make sure we get it right, and then we move into the next challenge. A lot of great lessons. So that, yeah, and that's pretty much the reason the female is, yeah. isn't there right now. So just to give you a real, like, you know, some details on that anyways, um, the male, uh, okay, so the female and male skeletons are two different skeletons, so conceptually completely different characters. Mm -hmm. uh, could be a Van Duel, could be a, so the implementation of that second skeleton, just like you're saying, is, is you know, though it's, you know, yeah, it's a female, it's just a tiny bit smaller than the male. Yeah, sure, yeah. but it is another asset, yeah. so it's, um, yeah. but one of the tricks is, okay, now we're going to make this female. We've got motion captured animations too, but we've also got a lot of authored animations for the male. And I mean, the first game, if you're ever going to implement a female and they can't do everything that the male can do in terms of animation, in terms of uh, using weapons, in terms of equipping Any outfits, oh my goodness, the, yep. the, the blowback would be awful. Um, so you have to make sure you are at parity with, with that male. Um, so because they're two different skeletons, we've got 
all of a sudden we have to do a different animation sets. So the mail in Star Citizen currently has about 6,000 animations or so. Now, they're not all in the PU. They're not all seen necessarily by the players at this exact moment. Uh, but they will be, and th what that means is, yeah, that's 6,000 other animations now on the female, and that has to be in parity. And what Forrest was saying was, you can't, you can't figure out the problems on two, different sy uh, on two similar systems at the same time, rather get one locked down. So what he means is that we're, we're really not even finished the male, yeah. right? We're not finished a male human completely, where it's, he does cover correctly, he does prone correctly, he does mantling correct, mm -hmm. and it, it's not even just doing it, it's that he does it and it looks really good and right. we are all happy with it. Right. Check out. Once you're there, boom, do the female because oh. then it's uh, it, it's just a matter of transferring animation. We call it, um, right now we've got a, a whole bunch of females within the Squadron 42 yep. mm -hmm. and a lot of them are uh, transferred over from the male and then feminized a bit or they they are brought in from, uh, from motion capture data. But uh, again, trying to do two at the same time without having locked down and perfected that first one uh, is a real trick. Yeah. So, uh, and we could always just bail and do the easy thing, which is, and we've, we talked about it. Mm -hmm. We could do the very easy thing of just say, all right, females and males, exact same size. Yeah. So all of a sudden you share the rig and you know what? You could have female avatars tomorrow if we made that concession. Um, but females have a different proportion. This is, this is just a reality. Um, and I feel like, um, and, and you know, the, 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 everyone in charge and the way it went uh, feels that that's important enough yeah. um, to, to um, take our time. Take our time with it, yeah. Have the mail locked down right. and then transfer it all. And for those wanting to see more about, you know, perfecting the animations, check out this week's Book Smashers. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just oh, about the vaulting animation. animations. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. about the vaults. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. See, and you can see that it's, yeah, the system's there, but it needs to be finalized because there is things that will change mm -hmm. to just get a little bit of polish out of it, mm -hmm. uh, but then to have to reapply that to yeah. a female or another character or whatever. But the cool part is, once female's online, that means uh, Van Duel, Jean, all these other yeah. uh, uh, races that we want to do are quite easy to bring online yeah. within those yeah. systems as well. Uh, what's the quote? The first ninety percent of video uh, video game development is harder than the last yeah, ninety percent. Uh, I think it was Tim Sweeney. I think it was Tim Sweeney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the yeah. best quote. Um, it's true. Yeah. So the true. second ninety yeah. percent of game development is takes longer than the yeah. first ninety percent or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's all about getting those systems in place. Then right. it's to the races. That's right. right. Totally. Yep. All right. So here's a question. Mm. Um, we didn't completely answer one of the questions before, by the way. Uh, well, no, it was on the terrain. They asked about more complex terrain features, yeah. like caves and yeah. overhangs oh, well, that's and the next stuff question. like that. That's the question I was just about to ask. Yeah, but they already kind of asked that. We we'll ask it now. It. Jared, ask your question. Well, I'm, okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, now, here it is. I'm going to ask okay, this question. It's okay if you guys want to... And anybody pass. other than Sean Tracy can answer. Ooh. Following up on the procedural question, will there be underground caves to explore? <laughs> uh, Sean? And overhangs and, and things that yeah. we didn't answer before, right. Um, so will there be? Uh, I can't tell you for sure how, how we would do it. We could do it. Um, but everybody's got to realize, too, like as soon as you get into the 3D, right, as soon as it's not a 2D representation anymore, things get a lot harder because you, that, that is why the CryEngine had a voxel system before. Mm -hmm. We had a voxel system in the CryEngine where you would define an area, it would copy the terrain into a voxel, and then all of a sudden you'd start sculpting mm -hmm. caves, and it was a really cool um, um, sort of process. The planets are not voxel. Um, these, are, these are planets of 
using height meshes. maps, yep. yeah, meshes. Um, so to be able to represent anything in 3D on a 2D height map is not really possible. Um, that's not something that we can do super easy. So things like overhangs, um, caves, anything that, that goes beyond that 2D um, uh, isn't really built into that system. Now, will there be? Because to make these things, you know, you do it the typical way that games have done it in the past, where you actually make the models of this stuff. Yeah, and it's not a, it's not an odd thing, and it's not a, I don't think it's a cop out either by mm -hmm. any stretch of the imagination, where you model those objects because, there we put tech in place so that those models now look far more part of the terrain, and I, you know, it's pretty hard to tell already. Um, <clears throat> just be, uh, like in the Homestead demo, it's hard to tell which ones of those are, are yeah. actual assets yeah. that have been placed with the distribution system or if those are actual uh, terrain features, totally. right? Yeah. It's, it's tricky to tell. But real easy way is if it's going to be a cave or if it's going to be an overhang, probably model. <laughs> you know. Um, so it's not that they won't be in the game. It's that right. they have to be is created. It, right, they're not going to be created from this current planet system. It's because more that's a question just of what system works. drives it, right? Yeah. Right. And yeah. how important is it, right. after all? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think you start with the art, right? And you get the art in there, and then if it becomes, you know, the, the importance level, you know, gets higher and higher and higher, then you start figuring out better tech solutions because you find out that it's a good use of time, right, to go that route. But sure. again, prototype it, get it in there, you know, and let's see how it mm -hmm. works, you know. But yeah, art, you can, you can do pretty much caves. You can do whatever you need, so. Cool, cool stuff. Definitely. Eric. Yep. What's your philosophy for keeping devs on task that might have many dependencies in an agile environment? Would you describe CIG's process as pure agile or some sort of hybrid? <laughs> Is this person a producer? <laughs> oh, wants to be a producer. That's a question I would have asked before I was in this industry. Um, well, the, first of all, there's a difference between philosophy and what's actually happening in practice, right? Mm -hmm. You can have philosophies all day. Production tends to have very good, is very good at pontification. Right? We can talk because that's part of our job. Um, but generally, I judge someone based on their philosophy because that's what they'll do in emergency or chaos situations sometimes. Uh, so it's, what is CIG's production process? It depends on the pipeline, honestly. We can't have one specific way to do everything because that's not, not how what we do works or really anything works when it comes to creative projects. I've never worked on a project at any company where I had one way that worked for everybody all the time. It just, it's not, that's not how this works. Um, it depends on... I think that waving the gun around gets the point across. Yeah, the, the, the live gun fire in the studio is very powerful. Uh, so are massages. So are massages. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, so some teams are, are, are really hardcore agile, right? It mm -hmm. really works well for them because two, two week sprints is a great, right? Software development, two week sprints are fantastic. Um, art assets, that's not necessarily the best way to do. Agile doesn't work I think the, the best. I think the perfect example would be um, take like um, the, uh, either the ship pipeline or, or, more, or even better example, the character tasking pipeline. Yeah. And then take a graphics engineer's uh, task. So totally. a graphics engineer is much more agile. It's you literally have a list of things that need to get completed and then you queue them up in order, which is an absolute agile production method. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, the other route, which is more art task, which is more pipeline and disciplines, right? So you have your upstream dependency and your downstream dependency and you start with your concept yeah. and then you have your, uh, you know, you know, uh, you have your design guide, and then you have your concept, and then you have the high-res sculpt, and then you have the game topology, and then you have your texturing, yep. and then you have your, and then it goes off to, you know, you know your animation, yep. and then yep. it starts branching, and you start having this tree of, like, 
parallel dependencies and it gets a little more complicated, but um, yeah, so I think you're right. It really depends on the, the discipline that you're totally. talking about. And in and, and, and all of our pipelines, the discovery process is very important. Um, what we're doing across the board in certain areas is, is unique. Some of it's not, but most of it's very unique. Uh, discovering things is very hard to schedule and plan and organize. Mm -hmm. you, you do plan for it. It's called, uh, it's called adding time because you know it's going to happen and come. Um, but when you're doing something unique, it's, it, you can't be, we're not making houses, we're not, creating, we're not manufacturing trailers, yeah. we're, right? We're making something creative. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of creative people. Uh, creative people um, have great ideas and sometimes their other ideas are better than their current ideas. So understanding which one's the best idea to use at the time, um, which one you <laughs> take and put in the backlog, oh, which one you uh, activate on to get out the first version, right? There's all kinds of factors yeah. that go into planning, organizing, scheduling. He's so political. For it's, me, it's the way you said that. Yeah. You were me, saying that some people have bad ideas, for but me, you didn't say bad or, or oh man. For He's me, so I didn't look at this camera. Are you talking this, about you? This uh, camera's on. We can no, look at no. This camera. Let's not look at this camera. He's really good at wording it. For me, uh, I think understanding Working alongside your leads, working alongside your directors is absolutely key. Um, production, our, our job is to somewhat stay par partially outside of the actual details because then we can look at it objectively if we get too far in. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we need to have some basic level of knowledge, right? I, I always think a good producer did the work before generally, right? Either in their, their degree or their background. Pure business guys or, or girls are cool. Uh, and they have something to offer as well, but I found that they have more challenges if, unless they've actually done it themselves, even if it's a, like a school project or, or outside, you do a mod outside of work, right? It just, it helps to have that level of knowledge. Uh, you can't know everything all the time, so you have to rely on your team, uh, and there has to be a level of trust, right, between, between your folks. So, back to your question, what is my philosophy, my production philosophy? I don't remember. Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> what's CIG's? Yeah, well, it, the original is what's your philosophy, and then what's CIG's production practices? Mm -hmm. I'm hoping these guys probably at this point can answer what my philosophy is, but uh, um, the perfect project management triangle, of course, I talk about this quite a lot, the health of your, your staff, the, the, the culture that you're cultivating, the uh, support, I'm going to bang on the table because I know you guys like that, uh, the support system that we try to provide, uh, work-life balance is very important, uh, but my philosophy is, is work alongside the team to get it done as fast as we can without killing anybody. It's keeping your head mm -hmm. afloat, right? Yeah. I mean, we're always trying to keep track of everything that needs to get done. And a lot of things that we do are, we've never done before. So a lot right. of times it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, give estimates or track stuff until we've done it yeah. once. And then we're like, okay, we kind of know what this is, how long this takes. And then we can kind of, you know, start doing a production roadmap, right? On, on to yeah. say this is when this could get done. And the more times we do it, the more metrics we have and the more averages we have. You totally. Know, mm -hmm. We've done this 10 times now. We've known it's taken this much time each time. Just totally. average that number out and we got a pretty good idea. So, totally. It, um, it, and tracking that data is what's real important. Right? It's, it is very important. It's very difficult without yeah. the right team, but it is very important. Especially because um, we move fast. Yeah, we do. And, yeah. and you know, every time you add a new element to that process, it changes generally the bid, right? So Forrest and I were early on working together on characters when the pipeline was in infantile stages. Some forced in some great work. The team's now doing awesome stuff. But that initial number we got from how long it does the character take, we we're so proud of that number. In our pipeline, in our process, with our team, what does it take to build a character from start to finish? With one artist, right? You generally do man months or by individuals. Right. But now, as the team's grown, as the pipeline's adjusted slightly, as things have gotten more efficient, some things have gotten a little harder, mm -hmm. we've gotten more people in play, that changes your bids. So you start with that number. But that's probably not going to get you to the end. It might be faster. It might be slower. But it's uh, it's 
it's a, it's fun. And production. once you have all that all that all the, your, your tasks and your bids laid out, and then you can start doing stuff like okay, uh, to get all this stuff done. Uh, it's going to take until like 2022. Then you're like, okay, but we only have one resource. So what if we had four resources? Correct. Yep. And then you see how it goes, and it allows you on the production side to balance all of these, uh, you know, to get your numbers into you know when you need to release by. And obviously, there's other factors like you bring on new people. There's the ramp up time, you know, and stuff like that. So um, you know, it's you know, it's a, the challenge is growing a company. Yeah. And still developing, you know, mm -hmm. at the same time, and yeah. try to keep track of everything. So it's a it's a tough job, but um, yeah. you know, we, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Follow up question for Mr. Tracy: If female characters are smaller, would it not make it so that the smaller profile gives an advantage in a firefight? It could. Um, the thing is, is we've uh, the way physics works on a character is it exists on the skeleton. So yes, you have a you have a conceptually smaller skeleton uh, on the female. Now, it's not dramatic enough that I would actually even make a change between the male and female, and it goes back to what I was talking about before, um, is, is an equality thing. It's, uh, it's not good to give a gameplay advantage just based on the sex of your character. I don't think that's, that's fair, um, and it's probably, a, uh, <laughs> it's probably prime to be argued. Um, whether or not that's the case. Um, I tend to hate it in, uh, there were some MMOs that I'd played in the past where it was actually the best thing to do to scale down your characters to the absolute smallest you possibly yeah. could so that on a mass, you know, a gaggle battle, um, you would be the hardest to click. Yeah. You, do you know what I mean? Yep. So, I, and like, I get it, um, but I don't want to encourage it. So, uh, so basically what I'm saying is that I'd prefer, um, and it's likely, well, it is the case right now, um, in in the Squadron Forty Two uh, female character implementation, that the the actual uh, the physics representation of that skeleton is identical to the male, can, so it's can, the exact same. So can I just say this is one of the reasons I absolutely love this community, because immediately we started talking about min maxing in FPS. Yep. With the character, fan freaking test. So is that why is that why every time we try to play a game, you try to pick a skinny dwarf? Yeah, <laughs> it's just me projecting. I never. I just thought you had a thing for skinny dwarfs. There's a difference between projecting and min-maxing. So yeah, right. right you try right. to do both. Is what it yeah, is. Right. So, interesting. So, uh, interesting. yeah. Hopefully that answers the question. Um, Look how much we learn about showing. Now, I know. This is good. What is a little weird about that is that you know the hitbox does extend a bit past what you can actually see on that character. So mm -hmm. I mean we're talking a couple inches, but it might be enough that actually we want to change some things. But yeah. we would probably make it so that we have a perfect average between the two. So you make the male one a tiny bit smaller, and then make the female one a tiny bit bigger, so that they actually line up per correctly and mm -hmm. perfectly to each other. It's a thing that we can address in balance. Definitely. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. This is a question, I know this is a question for, but uh, for most games now, your CP, CPU speed is more important than the number of cores your processor has. I just built an i7-5930K with six cores and hyper-threading. Do you think Star Citizen will use all of these cores better in the future, or will raw CPU speed still be most important? Forrest. I thought, was, that, I thought that was for you, dude. Yeah, that's for Jared. Jared go for it. Actually, I'll let Sean answer that one. Sean's uh, better, it, better in terms of uh, scaling, it will be to have as many cores as you can. Um, the the future of most, well, I shouldn't say that at all. Um, the, 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 you know, I don't, I just don't want to make an assumption like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, the paralyzation is the big. Yeah, uh, uh, is the big improvement as as we move forward, and you'll see better and better utilization of the cores. Um, 
the longer we, we work on it. So I would say you'd want to get more cores. Yeah, um, I would. But but again, if it, it, <laughs> there's a you know there's a happy medium in there. I know. Where it's like yeah, don't get anything that's you know crazily slow, but just completely paralyzed because it might be a lot slower. Um, but yeah, we do fairly good job of the multi-threading right 18 now. 18 cores running at 700 megahertz? Sure. Yeah. That'd yeah. be awful. I mean, I just... I <laughs> no, just... It's, it's like your brain, though, yeah. actually. Uh, yeah. Because they're... My brain ran to his brain. No, no, no. It's just a human brain. Yeah, I mean, I just built a computer, and I definitely got the six cores in there. You know, like yeah. utilizing a full full speed ahead. Six know. cores with hyper-threading, you're fine. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's... Push yeah. it. You're, you're good. Push it. Yeah. Just do it. All right. A uh, reminder to folks that we are taking questions from the RSI subscriber chat on robertspaceindustries.com. You can submit your questions there. Uh, we also collected some questions from our subscribers then in the forum. That's where some of these questions have been coming from today. Uh, another question from that thread. Uh, can you guys tell us something about an upcoming feature that you're looking forward to? Ooh. What's something on the horizon that you're looking forward to that, you know, not spoiler, something... See, all mine would be super spoilers. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a big FPS fan. I always have been, right? Going back to, well, before, but Goldeneye, right? And then <laughs> and Counter-Strike and, you know, all those good ones. So I've always had a little in my heart. Why are you laughing at Goldeneye? Goldeneye is like... Goldeneye is awesome. No, I, I, I played Goldeneye. Uh, FPS is a little, thank you, a little closer to my heart. Um, I'm also a huge MMO fan and I love multi, you know, big, whatever. But uh, I, I can sit down and... Grind, grind through some death matches and some stuff. So I'm personally looking forward to Star Marine. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying playing it. I think it's it's got a lot of uh, a, a lot to offer, and I think this you know it's only going to get better from the first time we introduce it. Again, we've got it in the game already, right? So you can get some basic basic functionality of running around and shooting people, which I'm already loving when I'm in, in mm -hmm. our, our our map now. Uh, but I think it'll be cool to have that mode. That's something I'm personally very excited about. I'm a Huge deathmatch fan, so I, I enjoy ranking up the kills. To go with that, I think something that um, in the in the future that I'm kind of looking forward to is um, is I want to be boarded. I want some ship. I know. I, yeah. I want that FPS. I want yeah. you to be able to get into my ship and yeah. start so firing. You know, boarded. defend that ship. Totally. I mean, I think that that would be super be sweet. <laughs> I'm sorry. Totally. Uh, no, I, I don't. Just, I don't. I miss the whole multi-crew <laughs> aspect of our game. But yeah, we're gonna yeah. talk about that. That's stuff I'm excited about. I can live on my ship. What's your favorite? Uh, it's it's not very uh, sexy by any stretch of the imagination. Object Air container swap. streaming. Oh, yeah. oh, that's a big one. That's Seriously, that's one. Uh, like that's one of the biggest like that that is as big as the 2.0 rollout. You know, the mini PU stuff. Holy Once that's online, uh, the universe is our oyster, basically, yeah, that's um, because that's yeah. That's so you want to just kind of one. one. That's a can you one. just give them a brief? Uh, wow, I mean, it, it, there's a, kind of a lot to talk about with object container streaming, but just the basic idea of an object container, and it, it sounds so simple, it's like, I oh, mean, why didn't that exist already? Um, container with objects in it, right? Sure, Close exactly. But, so you but, can't but, access it, and then push it through it in a Sure, but rate. you could say that a prefab or an archetype was kind of the same sort right. of thing before, or just a group of entities. Why don't you just group them together and call that an object right. container? Well, it's kind of not that simple, because there's... Uh, uh, the CryEngine had a bunch of uh, different uh, uh, partitioning systems, yeah. um, um, spatial partitioning systems within there. Physics system had one, uh, 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 Render has one, 
that there's a bunch of different ones. So the zone system, and I, you know, this is getting to be very unsexy explanation, but the zone system and, and, and was the, well, was yeah, the and, unification. But, but at the same time, at the same time, it is some of the most sexiest stuff, right? Like is it's it? the stuff you don't see. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's I mean, the stuff that you don't see, but yeah, um, it, it takes so much Absolutely work. Um, a zone partition system is not hard. It's hard to make them fast. Um, and it's hard to get them to talk to each other if they're different. Yeah. Um, so what we had done was first get the zone system online, yeah. and you've probably heard a lot about that, but what that is is a more advanced partitioning system that actually unifies them all across all the modules. So physics right. uses the same as uses the render, uses yep. the same as this. So then you've got to embed those, those partition systems into a container of sorts mm -hmm. that, that composes a bunch of assets. Now you might have multiple zones within that one object container, but you've got to load them all at the same time, basically. Sure. Um, so an object container is exactly like what Forrest is saying. It's just, it's, it's a container for objects. Mm -hmm. um, but what we have to be able to do is to be able to stream them in and out without keeping them in, in memory. Basically on level load, we can't have them all there. Yeah. That's the thing. So uh, we need to be able to stream them in and out dynamically. We do it with, we can do it with prefabs. We can do it with entity archetypes, but nothing to the scale of the uh, object containers. We can do it with small scale ones right now, but it, you know, it's, it's a little bit slow when it gets uh, uh, pretty hefty. So that's what, you know, Stephen Humphrey's been working his, uh, his, his rear his off working off, on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so that, that streaming is actually very quick and it gets all and those the, assets. the type of it. objects that go into the container, a great <laughs> example is like the space station. Yeah. Right, that's, you know, we want, that thing is, those things could be massive mm -hmm. and we need to officially stream those in, right? Sure, and it's not just the station asset, it's, it's like everything the station the asset, station. the shop in it, the character in it, the gun that he's holding, all the, the attachments on the weapon that he's holding. Yeah, yeah. So there's a huge hierarchical um, uh, load that has to happen. Yeah. And a lot of this, and it just cryingly conceptually, uh, you would do all this on level load. Yeah. Yeah. You would you would do. That's all. I was just saying, it's almost like you in the past it. you work with level streaming, and we're almost like we need to go so far past that because we're yes. endless. We needed to stream objects in, and yeah. it's yeah. almost like they are levels. So yeah. it's almost this that's like exactly what an incredibly impressive yeah. level level streaming system with level inside of a level. You know, like, right? That's exactly how I explain it now too. Mm -hmm. Is that. Um, if anybody had worked on uh, on a CryEngine project or, or worked in the CryEngine before, or even on any other any uh, game uh, engine, level, level editor, stream, yeah. uh, the object container is the equivalent of just uh, that level yeah, completely, that level stream, but yeah. it exists in the paradigm of a larger right. level. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's, and I'm uh, sure we're told, I'm sure we're mucking crazy. it up. I'm sure the people that write this stuff are like... Yeah, Humphreys is going. <laughs> He's watching right now. Sure not safe. Close. No. We love you, no, Steve. We're <laughs> super excited for what you're working on. No, it's pretty close. But again, the object container thing, it, it's essential for capital ships. It's essential for uh, universe streaming. So being able to go from planet one to planet two with whole cities on them and yeah, all exactly. this kind of stuff. And that's how it's all going to work. Yep. So, yeah. uh, Well, I just want to ask my question about object containers right now. Is there really an object container question <laughs> yes, next? Like oh, that's hilarious. That's why I gave Forrest the look. Excellent. Oh. No, uh, basically you covered everything else. Uh, the only part that's I left like of their that. question is about the size. What, what, what size limitation. And you know what? That's something we're figuring it out right now. And um, that's what, it's just a perfect segue mm -hmm. into the, the No, I was all ready for it. Nice so we're, we're uh, I'm saying I'm most excited <laughs> about the streaming coming online. And by the way, it works pretty much. Yeah. Um, so it's not like this is a, a tough nut that we haven't been able to crack yet. It's, oh, it's, oh, we've cracked it. Oh, it's cracked. It's just, yeah, we, we've got to figure out what we can get out of it. Um, so uh, we don't yet know uh, exactly the size that we want to make them. Um, we've tried various sizes. I mean, I've put a singular character yeah. into one, yeah. uh, and we have capital ships in one. So, you know, we need to set those budgets. Um, 
the other difficult thing about it, and if anybody's worked on a on a game project, they'll they'll understand this. But um, managing uh, uh, level budgets, so not per view yeah, budgets, but everything in the level, you've got to make sure that. <laughs> Designer one knows, oh yeah, you just added 10 megs. Designer two knows, oh yeah, you just took away four megs. You know, we need a way of, of, of budgeting those designers on being able to do certain things or, or not do other things. Um, and we can't yet tell them um, until the streaming is working exactly as we need it, mm -hmm. what the optimum size of that container needs to be, um, what kind of assets can go in yeah. there, what kind of ones don't, should yeah. they be separate, yeah. Uh, all those kind of rules and, and that's really actively what we're doing over the last few weeks anyways. And in the end, it really comes down to a numbers game. Totally. Right? Profiling at the very end comes down to a numbers game. This is the numbers you have to work with and you have to stay within your budget. Right? Sure, sure. Gotcha. All right, we are just about done. Uh, one of the final questions here. Let's get uh, warmed up. We have, yeah. a quick, yeah. we have a quick question in relation to the atmosphere currently. We enter it at about 10,000 feet. Is there any plan to extend the atmosphere to higher altitudes? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and it's all extendable. It's all uh, the user defines, so the artist defines it. Um, I haven't measured some of the ones that we have in there right now, uh, but absolutely, I, mean, I would think that would be a big part of it. I think one of the big reasons they made them pretty shallow uh, was just the amount of time yes, that it took to get yeah. down. Yeah. So um, I think if they did it realistically, there's a. I mean, it would just take a long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, short answer is that it's actually just a setting and what's cool I think that um, I, I completely didn't even think of until I realized it did it is they do put some code in there that um, makes sure that the engine knows when you're within the atmosphere and when you're outside of the atmosphere and that allows us to a lot of cool things you know mm -hmm. probably down the road with some gameplay support like I mean if you're flying in you know what is the flight system when you're outside in space mm -hmm. yep. and then if you notice we have a different flight system when you're actually on the planet stuff mm -hmm. and that's how you know is that atmosphere and that the code that they put in there to tell us when you're in and when you're out. And then we could probably start transitioning the effects in. Yeah. What do effects look like? Contrails on ships, all this stuff that yeah. would happen inside of an atmosphere mm -hmm. that you know may not be as realistic, maybe in space, right? So sure. um, that's yeah. something I'm really like, excited about. Does a boat go slower in atmosphere? Right, which totally. It probably and, would. And, yeah. I mean, we teased some of that in Homestead, but that was the idea, right? When, when we have that reaction, mm -hmm. planetary reaction to the ship. And, sure. and John Pritchett, I know, uh, one of our physics engineers, very, very smart, talented guy. Uh, he is, that's what he's been working on a lot, right? Not just how the dragonfly works on a planet, but now also how does your ship fly in there? Which ship fly in atmosphere better than fly in space? And mm -hmm. these are all these are all great things that we're starting to develop, and I think it gives a lot of mm -hmm. opportunities, really exciting opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. And one other thing along the lines of what Forrest was saying was, uh, so it knows whether you're in the atmosphere or not. What it also knows about is the gravity uh, yes. around the planet. So yes. that's super cool. Um, the fact that there's even a there's a small fall off uh, mm -hmm. that happens in there as well. So we have a variable amount of gravity on every single one of these planets. What you know, what we don't necessarily show in Homestead is the funny thing that happens to all of us, really. So we're we're flying around in the atmosphere, whatever. Um, you're in a Connie, and then you get out of your seat, right? But your ship turns off. So this is one of the item 2.0 things. Anyways, yep. we're going to leave right. the ships on yep. uh, or uh, give you the ability or something mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, as soon as your ship turns off, guess what? Gravity's on. Yeah, so, so you're walking in, you're walking to the back of your ship, and you don't realize you're actually hurtling towards the freaking ground, at uh, whatever rate. Um, and and then you get halfway out, and the ship explodes. And you're like, oh right. And that's going to be helpful when you're in space too, because say you want to get out, leave your headlights on that's facing an asteroid, and like fly over to it. You know, kind of use your vehicle yeah, as, an, as an extra. 
an extra light source, excuse me. Um, so that's uh, super cool. But it is fun to work in these planetary tools because the whole engine is was the tool set was kind of built uh, for this kind of flat playing field. Yeah. Right now, all of a, a sudden, we're itself. working on this planet where you actually like like this in space sure. compared to where that normal plane would be, and so. Um, the next challenge really is kind of working on the tool set to make the, the workflows right. easier. And all, right, and all the things we have to re-implement yes. because, of, because of that change. I'm going to make your show super yeah, we're just over time. Keep talking. Um, uh, uh, like a nice example is what we ran into with the cloth for the Nomad. Yes. I think this is a perfect way to explain like what happens. So again, consider the CryEngine really had this idea of Zed up. Like yeah. that, that was it, you yeah, know, exactly. uh, Z is upwards. So, uh, we had this cloth implementation that we put on the nomad cool when he's standing on a mm -hmm. perfectly uh, solid plane that has Z up. Yeah. Cloth is falling downwards. Right. right? Yeah. However, if you happen to be on the bottom of a planet, um, no longer Z up, but you're like this, yeah. right? So the whole cloth simulation system was assuming Z up. Yeah. So it thought the gravity was going this way. So as you stood up, your cloth was coming straight up from your head like this, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it just, it looked absolutely ridiculous. And it was totally different depending on where you were on this planet because all of a sudden you're upside down and the engine just had no idea about that. It's pretty much Mardi Gras. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, and that happened for a lot of different systems. So luckily Evo Hertzig already put a fix in for that. So that was not, not, a, not a dramatic, you know, yeah. uh, change but, that had but, to happen. But, but it's so many things like this. You don't even it's think the, about it. It's the discovery right? process, right? Yep. And I think that's what we were talking about earlier, not just in the production planning phases, but just going through this. You, yeah. Some exciting discoveries, some frustrating discoveries, but sure. all of them making it a better product at the end yep. and what we already have out there. Yeah. And because we're really concentrating on making it scalable because we want this game to be around for a very long time, you know? So in the past, in, you know, Crisis, you just drop that wind NTE in and it went on that. Oh, yeah, and right. And you're right. good, right? But yeah. now we're like, wait a minute. We don't want to just have uh, designers place wind entities over an entire planet. That way it kind of moves, you know, now you need a system that's mm -hmm. more proc that can mm -hmm. actually make sure that the wind is curving around the planet properly and working. Mm -hmm. It's just all these little things, but that's the fun of it and that's the challenge. But once the foundation's built, um, and then we're really sprinting. These yeah, planetary-sized little things. That's what I love about And with that, that brings our October subscriber edition town hall to a close. Uh, thank you so much to Eric Kyron Davis, uh, for Stefan, and Sean Tracy. If you're interested in learning even more about our procedural generation system, tune in to Around the Verse tomorrow. Uh, it emanates from our Frankfurt office, and you'll see some even, even more information about the, the procedural system. Thank you, Jared. And thank you, Jared. Thank you, Jared. As thank always. You, Jared. As I just always. sit here and read the questions. <laughs> so, again, Eric, Forrest, Sean, I'm Jared. Thanks for watching, guys. Bye.